0: To Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories, written and narrated by Heather Lynn McMillan, and copyright 2022 content warning. The Anturia Diaries prequel stories consistently feature themes of graphic violence, profanity, controversial topics, and sexual content. As such, these podcasts are not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Some episodes also contain more specific themes which may be triggering. These episodes will feature further content warnings in the notes. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. sat outside enjoying the sunshine on a spring afternoon as my granddaughter tended to the flowers in my garden. Her name was Afanen, and on this day, she was ten years old. I remember how the sunshine spread into her gold hair that day and how her violet eyes smiled at me as she talked about what type of bouquet she would make me. Once all the flowers were blooming this summer, she looked a little like me down to her lovely silver skin. My husband and son passed away together in an accident a few years ago, and my daughter in all and I were left to raise sweet Ephenin on our own. Commonly, Anturians, regardless of race, tend to have multi-generations living in the same household. Most of us only have one child, although a small percentage of Anturians will have two or three children. Only a dozen or so Anturians at that time had three children, and maybe 10% or less of our population had two children. Everyone else had one or none. Anturians, regardless of race, were immortal. We were resistant to illnesses and diseases that plagued other living hosts. Unless subjected to an act of violence or an accident, we were immune to all the degenerative processes that other living beings must endure from aging. Our immortality is why some humans on earth believed that we were gods or magical. Anyway, I remember this day and the sun shining through my granddaughter's hair so well because a knock at my garden gate interrupted that beautiful image and memory. I looked up from where I sat and saw Oswald, a fellow member of the Council of Elders. He was waving at me from the other side of the short gate. I waved him into the garden and he entered the gate and began to walk toward me. Oswald was a crow and Guird, a race with green skin. They were typically short and wiry in build, and Oswald was no exception. I think Afanan was taller than he was, and he was fully grown. He had yellow hair and orange eyes, also typical for the race. His face was clean-shaven as crow and Guird males tended to dislike facial hair in general, so it was rare to find one with any. As he walked toward me, I felt like the sun had disappeared behind a mountain and decided it may never come out and shine again. I could tell something was wrong by the pained expression on Oswald's face. He approached me like he was marching to his death. I glanced over at Offanen. Please run inside for a bit so I can talk with Oswald. She stopped tending the garden and skipped inside playfully in response. Once she was inside the house, I motioned Oswald to sit down in a chair next to mine. He hesitated, but then fumbling his hands and feet in a very clumsy fashion, he sat down. I don't know quite how to say this, Bryn, he told me. Well, I rationalized. It's probably best to have it out plain and full if it's something bad. I may have an initial response that is emotional, but then my logic will have time to process for a better and more suitable reaction, I assured Oswald. I just found out. We just found out. They, they, and I felt sorry for him because he looked so downright uncomfortable. He gulped as though he couldn't get enough air to say what he was about to say. I was at a complete loss on how I could ease the burden from him, other than encouraging him to keep speaking to take the responsibility off of him and share it with me. Please just say it, Oswald, I said kindly. He blinked at me and then exhaled deeply. They have been bringing humans here for ten years. He blurted it all out so quickly, it was almost impossible to understand him. It sounded like one long word full of syllables. It seemed like minutes, but it was just perhaps a partial second when my brain recognized the words and processed them involuntarily my bottom jaw dropped open slightly be calm Bryn. calm I had to remind myself but I could feel my heart beginning to race out of control my brain stepped in How many are here now? I asked him. He gulped again. About five. Five. He looked to the ground. Five thousand. And do we know who is bringing them in? I inquired. He shook his head. No, no one has admitted to it at this point. Do you know those giant boulders, those vast rocks that sometimes appear out of the ground on a very active planet? I felt like one of those had been dropped down my throat and into my gut. Five thousand? And we have no idea... Who brought 5,000 humans onto our planet? I repeated, almost not trusting my ears, but I knew what I had heard. Yes, he stammered. And where are these 5,000 humans? I asked. My brain thought if they were all confined to one place, we could quickly corral them back up and take them home. They are spread all over the planet, although a hundred or so in Tithia have caused an uprising. This is how we found out about them, he continued filling me in with details now. Some Anturians have been smuggling them in a few at a time as enslaved people. The ones in Tithia got together to revolt for their freedom. Those humans are under the protection of the Tethian council right now. I looked from Oswald back up to the sky, confirming that the sun was still there, because I could no longer feel the warmth from it. I see. And the others that are all spread out? They are still enslaved. We are trying to discern their locations and free them into protective custody. He sighed. Bryn, there's more. Go on. I closed my eyes because I didn't think I wanted to know more. Unfortunately, I knew I had to hear it all due to my position in the Council of Elders. Some humans have already given birth to offspring that are half earthlings and half Anturian. Some have quite distinct enturian features. Even If we rounded them all up, I don't think we can send them back to Earth. We cannot permit that in the human gene pool. I nodded in agreement. Well, there went my initial thought of shipping the humans back home. We couldn't force humans to part with their children to go back to Earth. And we couldn't send any children that had mixed DNA from the two planets back to Earth since Earth was a genetically pure planet. Well, I guess we need to call an urgent council meeting. We need to find a plan to stop the flow of humans onto Anturia and make laws against that from happening again. We need to vote on protections and have laws put in place to guarantee that the humans here and their offspring have the same rights and freedoms as the rest of us. We will need to coordinate with the Tethian Council once we make our decisions." Oswalt nodded and began to notify the Council by calling an emergency meeting. Unlike some sentient beings, Anturians do not need technological devices to contact each other. We have special telepathic abilities built within our DNA that enables us to communicate no matter the distance. To our delight, we discovered that even when our kind was on Earth, we could still communicate with each other across the dimensions between the two planets. I stood up and Oswald stood with me. Go ahead and meet me there, I told him. I need to let my granddaughter know that I will not be home for dinner this evening as we had something special planned. Oswald looked at me with sorrow in his eyes. I'm so sorry, Bryn. I do not blame you, Oswald. This issue is urgent and it must be addressed by the council immediately, especially for all the children of our world. Oswald bowed politely and then he hurried out the gate that he had entered earlier and I walked into the house to deliver my sad news to my granddaughter. Two hours later, the whole Council of Elders had gathered in Tithia. This meeting was a closed-door meeting, which meant no members from the public could attend or make a petition to attend. We were permitted to have a dozen such sessions per calendar year, but no more than that. The rest would have to be open to the public. This policy kept the people of Anturia from being in the dark on many decisions we, the Council, made for them. This practice also served to keep us honest, accountable, and transparent to those that we represent all of the council members were in small groups of 3 or 4 talking to each other throughout various places of the council chamber when i entered i walked over to where oswald stood at the front of the dais believe it or not he was the voice of the council meaning he conducted all of our meetings and moved us from one topic to the next ensuring we stayed on track and focused on the tasks at hand for each gathering he was good at this next to oswald was malath malath was a crow and do a dark-skinned race of th- till with tag all of us in Anturia were part of the species known as the Tilwith Teg. The Crow and Dew, the Crow and Lude, the Crow and Gloss, and the Crow and Guird were simply primary races underneath the species of Tilwith Teg. And of course, we had about 20 sub-races under each race, but I won't get into those as it can be overwhelming. Melade was the eldest living Tilwith Teg, so by default, she was the leader of the Council of Elders. The leader had two main tasks. The leader served as a tiebreaker. The Council of Elders leader could essentially place two votes on any topic one for the leader's original choice, and if there was a tie, a second vote to resolve the tie so that we would have a course of action to follow. The Council was supposed to have an odd number of members, but if this was impossible or if someone abstained from voting, The leader's vote mattered. The leader's other task was to ensure that we could enforce the law we created. This practice prevented the council from making look-good, feel-good rules simply for political favor or sway without meaning in our lives. Before anything came to the floor for a vote, the leader and an administrative team chosen by the leader could review the proposed law and determine right then if it was relevant or not to pass to the floor for a vote. Some of us were not fond of this rule, and I was one of those. I felt like it gave the leader too much authoritative power, but thankfully... No one had abused this authority so far. The leader's office claimed to have standardized protocols and checks in place that they held each proposed law up to to make a fair determination. Still, no one shared those checks with anyone outside the leadership office. They treated the practice as a great secret. I walked up to both of them and nodded to Malade respectfully and she nodded back to me as her green eyes fell on me. She had very long and thick black hair that came down past her shoulders and her black, dark skin glistened in the lighting of the council room. Malath was about three times as tall as Oswald, which made the sight of the two of them standing together look almost comical. It must have appeared like small, medium, and large were standing together in line once I arrived. Oswald was filling me in on why you two called this urgent meeting, Malade said to me. I am not so certain that others will feel this is as urgent as you feel it is, she said. I couldn't tell if she said that with a touch of sadness or admonishment, but I certainly felt something was amiss here with the first words out of her mouth. I nodded in response because I had a nagging feeling that I should keep my mouth shut for now and listen. Listening and observing seemed more prudent to me right now than arguing and attempting to prove I believed myself to be right. I looked back out across the room as it filled up with more council members arriving, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye that Malay, for the briefest second, gave an annoyed expression toward me for my lack of desire to engage in conversation with her. Was she hoping to provoke something before official proceedings began? Did she want me to engage her in my thoughts right now before the meeting started? I felt goosebumps form on my arms as I waited for everyone else in the council to arrive and be called to our seats to begin. Malaith walked off toward a group of other Croandus along one of the walls, and I glanced to Oswald. He looked back up to me with an expression that told me he felt the same way I did. A couple crowing Gloss also gathered into the conversation with Malade and the other Crow and along the wall. They seemed to be gathered in a quiet conversation where I could not discern what they were saying. However, the expressions on their faces told my intuition much of their conversation. If I had to guess who was bringing humans over to our planet just from the minutes of this scene of the filling council room, I would be able to narrow it down with 98% certainty from body language alone something terrible was about to happen day close to me i whispered to Oswald. he gulped and nodded the little man was a diplomat and a thinker and as such he would never survive without someone watching over him i sat down in my assigned seat to his right and Oswald slipped into his seat to the right of the leader as i sat i folded my arms and slid my fingers into the sleeves of my robes where my knives lay hidden and i waited for the meeting to begin Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 2, The Great Riff from the Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast subscription apps or at Anturia.org. In Season 1, Episode 3, The Civil War, Bryn Tal tells us the Council of Elders' response to the discovery of humans being smuggled onto Anturia, and something important breaks. Stay tuned.